our backs were against the wall, and it looked as if it was over. You ran away, and we're standing here only because you
have been going to doctor after doctor after doctor after doctor and told there was no way. Jesus, you made a way. And we believe that we've seen it before and that you will do it again in this place today. In this place today. Not in some, just in some distant country. Not just in some far off land. Not just in the presence of a missionary or the presence of an evangelist or the presence of a conference, but in this house today. God, we believe that you've done it before, you'll do it again. Where there's cancer, let there be healing. Where there's addiction, let there be freedom. Where there's pain, let there be health. Where there's divorce, let there be reconciliation. Where there's lack, let there be provision in the name of Jesus. Where there's doubt and depression and suicidal thoughts, we bind them up, we cast them out, and we say bring life and joy and hope in the name of Jesus. Daddy, we would not be here without you. There's nothing good in us that hasn't started in you. We didn't make a way to you. You made your way to us so that we can make our way back to you. The cross has the final word. I just want to say that over somebody. I'm going to pray that over somebody today that needs to hear it, whether you're in this room or you're online today. The cross has the final word. The cross. Not your circumstance, not your situation, not your doctor's report, not your feelings. The cross of Jesus has the final word. By his stripes you are healed. Jesus said, it is finished, and so be it. Let it be finished today in your life. Daddy, we can't, but you can. Nothing's impossible for you. Church, do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that this isn't just a moment of emotional hype? This right now, as we get ready to say amen, this is not a, a moment of emotional hype. This is a moment of spiritual hope. My hope is not in me. My hope is not in our goodness. My hope is even not in our message. The hope is in Jesus Christ. I place my hope in him. You said it. You did it. We believe it. We receive it. In the name of Jesus, let it be so. And everybody in the room said amen and amen and amen. Come on, give God some glory. I believe today there's breakthroughs in the room today. Walls and mountains coming down. Church, do you believe that today? Walls and mountains coming down. Danielle and I were driving in today. We were talking about people who weren't even going to be able to be in the room today because of various situations. But your proximity to the house does not determine God's power that comes from his house. God's power. God's power is not limited by where you are today, whether you're in the first, second, third, fourth, 18th row, whether you're at home, whether you're on vacation, whether you're watching online. My God is the same God. I believe he's a miracle worker. Do you know why I believe he's a miracle worker? Because I was a sinner and he set me free. The greatest miracle we could ever face is the transformation of us from being who we used to be to being a child of Jesus. And if I can believe for that, if I can believe he's going to save me after I die, when can any of us really know what happens after we die? If you've got cancer, you can talk to other people who've had cancer. 
If you had COVID, you can talk to other people that have COVID. If you go through divorce, you can talk to other people who go through divorce. The problem is when you die, you can't talk to anybody else. So if I can believe that Jesus is going to resurrect me, set me free, transform me, greet me with arms wide open as I step through that veil and be transformed into his likeness, where I will spend eternity with him, if I can believe that, what can't I believe for on this side? This is just a moment of hope. The devil tries to lie to you. The devil's a liar. He's been lying to you since before you were born. He's been lying to you since you've been born. But my God has been designing you before you were even made. You are in your daddy's eye and in your daddy's mind. I'm talking about your heavenly father before he even formed you and placed you in your mama's womb. He knows exactly what you need right here, right now. All we need to do is receive it by his grace. I believe that's the message of the gospel. Man, you're in the right place today to worship the right God in the right time of history, in the right location. You are not here by accident. You're here by divine appointment, and we're glad you're here. So if this is your first or second time, welcome to Connect. We're glad to have you here. Thank you so much for being a part of this. We're a family here, and so we want to be a family together. If you're watching online today, welcome. We're sure glad that you're part of the family, too. We know that some of you uh, are under the weather today. We're praying for God's uh, miraculous power in your life. If you're just tuning in, it's not by accident. God's got a plan for your life. It's to be here today right where you are. So look, before you're being seated, why don't you turn to someone that you're near, give them a, a high five, a fist pump, a hello, spend a few moments, just get to say hi to somebody. I know we all got masks on, but just say hi. I need a drink. After that worship set, whoo, man, I just want to go right into preaching. I can't real quick, but, oh, and there's something about being in the presence of worship. Don't, don't let it just be, can I just encourage you, don't let it just be a Sunday, uh, Sunday morning moment. Man, prepare your spirit. Refresh your spirit all week. Have worship on, man. Get into the presence of God. I don't care what it is, whether it's hymns or Hillsong or I don't care what it is. Get in the presence of the king. And that's something that changes our spirit. But I just want to let you know a couple things before we hop into the word today. There are things that are going on in church. Yesterday we had a phenomenal uh, equipping moment in church. Uh, uh, we, um, Pastor Rick um, took some time yesterday morning and did a seminar on how to share your faith um, with people in your world. And look, I, it was so good. It was so great. And I am excited about the harvest that's going to come for people. Because it's not about getting people to come to connect, it's about getting people to connect to Jesus. So I'm excited about that, and thank you, Pastor Rick, for doing that. I know we have another one planned at a night time so that people with kids, or if you have different schedules, you can come. Uh, we'll let you know when that is in just a little bit. But it's exciting. That's part of being a disciple, is not just receiving the gospel, but sharing it with people. And I know that's scary, but it becomes less scary when we become equipped. So we've got a great week. I want to invite you. I really do want to invite you back next Sunday. Before we even go through this Sunday, I want to invite you back next Sunday. We've got a special Sunday. I'm gonna, we're going to get to do something that I love to do. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even going to tell you what it is. It's one of my favorite things. 
uh, to be a part of, but you are definitely going to want to be in the house next week. It's great. You can watch it online, no doubt, but there's just going to be something special about next week. Um, And next week actually kicks off Easter week. Do you believe it's Easter? Like, so we have next Sunday special, and then um, we have Good Friday service at 7 o'clock, when we're going to take communion at the end of the service as well. Um, Then we have Easter that following Sunday, which is my favorite day of the year. It's my favorite Sunday of the year. It is just, it's the the reason we're here, right? It's the reason we're here. I love Christmas. Christmas is great, but Christmas, like without the cross and the resurrection, becomes meaningless. It's just a great day. Um, And we, we, look, we've got all sorts of things. We've got baptisms coming up soon. We'll let you know about that. We've got a lot of stuff. And thank you for still being willing to wear masks, I know, for for uh, a lot of people, this, um, they, they may be asking about that. Look, we're still in it for a while, and we just want to, look, we know this. More people are comfortable in a room uh, when, we're, when we're wearing them uh, than maybe when we're not. And we are here to make sure for people's health all the way around. So uh, this is not a political statement. This is a people statement. If you know me at all, you know I could care less about politics one way or the other. This is a people statement. We love people. Um, So let me just say, because we love people so much, too, we've got a really cool thing coming up. Many of you know that we have uh, the mobile food truck, which is Thy Kingdom Crumb. It's we give food out to everyone, everywhere, uh, all the time. And we have a, a, a thing that we are inviting you to be a part of. In May 15th, um, we are having an online auction, and, and it's to help fund what we do, because the more co- that comes in, the more that can go out, and how many of you know in this t- time, in this period of time, there's a whole lot more people that need help, um, and so we need, but that, if it's hard for them to get help, it's hard for us even to get resources, so we need resources, so we're inviting you to be a part of our online auction, how? Well, one of the ways that you can do it is you can take these forms and you can go to your place of, of work or your neighborhood stores and get some things to be auctioned off and take the risk of inviting people to be a part of this. It's worth it. It's a great, great moment uh, of ministry. Um, and so tell people about it. Uh, bid. <laughs> be a part of it. Pray for it. It's coming up May 15th, but we have to get this stuff in early. That's why we're talking to you about it today. And um, just because TKC is really cool, um, I'm going to throw out some shirts. Here's some, anybody want a TKC shirt? TKC, anybody over here want a TKC shirt? You look like you need a TKC shirt. Oh, there was no hands over there. You want a TKC shirt? There we go. Awesome. Fantastic. All right. They're shirts, so my lawyer won't yell at me. They're just shirts. Are you guys ready for the word today? I'm ready for the word. I've been ready for this word for a while. Uh, if you brought, since you brought your Bible, can you open with me to Luke chapter 9? Luke chapter 9. Luke is the... Third book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's written by Dr. Luke. He's a doctor who also is a disciple of Jesus, one of the, 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 the next circle of disciples of Jesus. And we get a great perspective from him because he's very strategic in the way that he thinks, in the way that he writes, in the way that the Holy Spirit writes through him. And if you need a, a title for today's message, it's Set Your Face. Set Your Face. I remember as a child... Um, I got a chance to go to one of our nation's greatest national monuments, Mount Rushmore. And I remember standing there being like just kind of aghast at seeing the, these four presidents' faces, you know, Washington, Jefferson, Roosevelt, and Lincoln, as they were chiseled into pure granite. And now, whether whose faces should be up there 
is debatable and whether it should be those four or not those four, that debate's for another day. But I think for me, one of the things that struck me as a child, what struck me is the intensity of their gaze as it looked out over the plains. It was fixed. But what's interesting to me was that it wasn't intentional by them because none of them sat and posed for this sculpture. It was crafted, their gaze was crafted and created by the master artist. It was, their gaze was crafted and created by him. And as I think about that, I, every time I think about it, it makes me ask the question of myself. Who sets my gaze? That's the question we have to ask ourselves today. Who sets our gaze? Who sets what we look at? Who sets the vision for our life? Is it ourselves? Is it our dreams? Is it what we think will overcome our insecurities, meet the insatiable need in our generation for success? Will it quiet the voices of that parent that you want to please or that person or friend that you want to impress? Who sets this gaze? Who is it? Is it ourselves or is it the master artist, Jesus himself? Why is that so important? See, my friends, what we look toward, what we set our eyes to attain, what we focus on has great influence on our lives. It influences our state of mind when issues strike. It influences our hopes. It influences our dreams. It influences the way that we will walk out what we think we're walking to. It even influences and ultimately influences our intimacy with God. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 20, uh, 22 and 23, he said, look, the eye is the lamp into your body, to your soul. So if your eye looks at something good, if it looks at light, if it looks at what's holy, if it looks at what is of the things of God, the whole body will reflect it. It'll become light. But if your eye is focused, set on something that isn't those things, darkness comes. And those things affect our very lives. So what we set our face towards matters. So in this text that we're going to look at here, we're going to see how Jesus allowed God's purpose, God's kingdom cause, his pursuit of holiness to set his gaze. Can I ask you a question this morning, and maybe the question we really need to answer or wrestle with is who's setting your gaze? I don't mean just on a Sunday morning when it's real easy. I mean every day in everyday life and choices and decisions that we make, when crisis hits, who sets our gaze? Does the problem that we're facing have more power to set what we look to than the power of heaven who crafted and created us? Who sets our gaze? Let's read this verse. Maybe this can help us discover this. Luke chapter 9, verse 51 says this, When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, go to the cross, be resurrected, he resolutely, underline this in your Bible, he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. He resolutely, I'm going to stop there for a moment because I love the word resolutely. In the Greek it means to decide firmly, to make up one's mind definitively. 
That means there is no room for any other action. I am making up my mind. Jesus is calling you and I every day to make up our mind definitively where we're going and who we're following. Who will set the path for our pursuit? He goes on to say this in verse 52. So he sent messengers ahead of him into, uh, who went and entered a village in the, uh, of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him, underline this, because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven to consume them? <laughs> Sometimes you got to laugh when you read the Bible. But he turned and rebuked them and said, you don't know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And then he went to another village. Before I even hop into this any further, this is Luke 9. There are 15 more chapters of Luke. 15. That means he's in Luke 9, and he's already set his face to the cross. That means there's still a whole lot of journey left for Jesus. How many of us know a lot of times when God's vision comes into our life, the return is not going to be immediate. The arrival is not going to be instantaneous. Sometimes we have to set our face for a long time and persevere looking in that direction until his kingdom comes. What we see is Jesus' vision. I love vision. Daniel knows that we talk about that. I love vision. I love to talk about vision. I love being around people of vision. I, if you're ever around me long enough, you're going to hear a lot of vision that comes out. I love vision. I think vision is important and essential for our life. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where we have no vision, God vision, we go unrestrained. We do whatever we want to do into our own destruction. So vision is really important for our lives. Because it actually sets the direction, it's the blueprints that set the direction for the steps we're going to take to move towards that which we're looking toward. That's why what we set our face towards is so important, because it influences our footsteps. What you are setting your face towards will influence your daily footsteps. A better marriage, becoming a better person, being good, being nice, holiness, being a disciple, loving my neighbor, closing the gap between me and God, it will determine my footsteps. It'll influence them. Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem, towards the cross, and nothing in all the world, nothing could deter him from, those, from that journey, nothing. And he's our example. So we have to understand there's going to be things that are going to try to deter us along the way. We just have to understand nothing should be able to deter us from the vision of God. Dee and I were walking on the beach uh, a, a couple weeks ago. And when, 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 when more mature people walk on the beach, come on, we usually walk in a more, like in a straight line. We get down to the top, you know, where the tide line is because we know it's more stable. And we kind of walk holding hands. It's all fun. But if you are on the beach walking that way and you get to a place where kids want once we're playing, it's a madhouse. They're everywhere. There's no rhyme or reason to the way that they're running. Sometimes it looks like they're running around in circles. Can I tell you that's the way it is in our Christian life so often? Is that it feels like at times we're just running around in circles. We have mature desires, but because we have an immature relationship with God's vision for our life, we get frustrated. Because God's vision for our life is holiness. 
Discipleship, love, mercy, compassion, justice, intimacy with him. And that's why a lot of times we get frustrated and feel like we're running around in circles in our Christian life, not because God doesn't have a vision for us, but because of our immature relationship with it. That's why Hebrews, the word tells us it's good news. The word is good news. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, fix your eyes on Jesus, who is the author. He begins your faith, and he's the perfecter of it. He's taking you on. God's plan for our lives is a process of perfection. He is perfecting our faith. He doesn't expect perfect faith in the beginning. He authors the faith and actually works a process through this journey that he's taking us on that's refining the faith inside of us. That's why God's vision is not leading us to a better where. Where am I headed? Where where am I going? But to a better who. A better who I am. Who I've been created to be. A better revelation of who he is. It's not a better where, it's a better who. Vision's important, but vision by itself is not the answer. Because vision, without God-given purpose direction, is simply a dream wrapped in a candy-coated Christian shell. We're like Christian M&Ms, right? We got the dream inside this spiritualized shell. The real question is what do we look to vision for. What do we look to vision for? Do we look for it, to it, for self-profit? For it to be profitable in our lives? For it to bring good things back into our life? is, Is it the plan to help us succeed? Is it for profit? Or is it the means by which I can know and worship Jesus at a deeper level than I ever could do it on my own. Because that doesn't seem like it's a big deal, but the answer to that affects everything. It affects the way that we make our daily decisions, how we even see the decisions that we get to make. It affects the way we see the word, his will, his ways, because are they means to bless me or means through which I can bless him back? When it comes to what I'm looking for in the vision of God, do I see God's word as a means to bless me? Or a means to bless him back. And this is the difference, my friends, that we've been talking about over the last months between being a believer and a disciple. This, these collision points happen all the time. See, believers have made vision profitable. God's vision is profitable for me. He wants me to succeed. He wants me to prosper. And we define what those things are by our own definitions. Disciples make God's vision indomitable. That means unmovable, unchangeable, unwavering. It doesn't matter what comes my way. I will not be changed from what I know God has calling me to in my life. The issue is how we've presented vision in the American church over the last few decades. I get it because I've done it. We've done a great job, or rather a horrible job, of preventing, presenting God's vision as God's means to fulfilling our dreams. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He does. But it always is the way. God has a way to fulfill my dreams. So he's giving me a vision for that. 
God becomes like heaven's Tony Robbins, where if we just kind of get on his plan, our dreams are followed. Now, don't get me wrong. See, this is the tension of the word of God. I love living in the tension of the kingdom. Psalm 37, I love this verse. Verse 4 says this, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Hallelujah. Someone say, amen. That's good news. But see, the truth is, that is true. That is absolutely true. But there's an order to it. We have to delight ourselves in God, in God's word, in God's ways, in God's will. And when we do that, he changes our heart to meet his will. Then he will give us the desire of his, our hearts as it lines up with his will. See, I want to just say publicly, thank God he does not give me the desires of my heart all the time. Come on, somebody, I need a better amen than that. Someone needs to shout that down because you're like, no, nah, I know what you're talking about. My desires are pure. You're a liar. <laughs> no, the Bible says your heart's deceitful above all things. Right? Come on. This is our generation. Just follow your heart. Follow your heart. No. That's the worst advice. No. Thank God he doesn't give us the desires of our heart. But when we see vision through the lens of profitability, we will stay faithful as long as we determine it is profitable in return. So, man, we will be pursuing this godly marriage as long as the return from our spouse is profitable to our investment. Well, man, we'll, we'll be all in with integrity in our marketplace as long as it gives us the promotion and the increase that we think we deserve. We, we, we will be all about being full on in church as long as it profits my preferences and what I hope and dream. But when the dividends or the costs become too high, the issue in our generation is that we tend to reframe the vision of God into a new thing God has for us. A new vision. We just reframe it. No, no, God, no, you don't understand, Pastor, God's given me a new thing. But wait, you weren't faithful with the last thing. You didn't do the old thing, but you think he's going to give you a new thing. You weren't faithful with the little, but you think he's going to give you more. That's not who he is. But it comes from our immature relationship with God's vision. Because it's childlike. We can see this in the word of God. We don't have to go too far, actually. We can see this in Judas. Now, I know none of us want to think that there's any Judas in us. But if we're honest, there's probably a little bit more Judas in us than we'd like to admit. Judas was a zealot. So when he saw Jesus, he saw a means to fulfill his dreams, which was to kick the Romans out. And after all, isn't that what the Messiah, isn't that what Jesus is supposed to do? And so he got connected based off of what he thought God should do. How many of us at times get connected to God based off of what we think he should do for us? The problem is, the problem is with Judas is that he followed until he didn't think it was profitable any longer. Don't get me wrong. I don't think it was the money that motivated him to look away. I don't believe it was the 30 pieces of silver that motivated him to look away. I believe it was disappointment. He got disappointed and disillusioned with who Jesus was and not meeting the vision that he believed God had for his people, his place, 
and his future, and so he looked away. Man, I can't tell you how many times I know that in our lives we feel called. We feel called to this person, or we feel called to this friendship, or we feel called to this job, or we feel called to this church until the cost gets too high and the dividend seems too low in return. The issue is, if we're honest, modern Christianity is in danger of forming us into spiritual day traders. Do you know what a day trader is? He's all in on the stock today until the stock changes tomorrow and then he's out. We're all invested until something changes with the stock. I know I've said it a thousand times, but Danielle and I, one of Danielle and I's favorite shows is King of Queens. And it's an, old, it's an older show, so you might have to Google it. But there's this one moment where they have bought stocks. And it's up and down, and they're kind of going crazy about it. And Carrie stops, and she says to Doug, she says, look, we are long-term investors. We're in it for two to three weeks. <laughs> right? And the reason it's funny is because it's true. It's because it's the way sometimes we look at our life. There's this expectation of when God should turn something around in, of how long something should take, of how long do I have to wait till church gets back to the way it was. And then, if it doesn't happen, and I'm in it for two to three weeks, but then I'm out. And it just comes down to God, our view of vision being profitable or not. Yet here's the truth. Jesus' entire vision from birth to death was to get to the cross. That's it. He had one vision, get to the cross. It was indomitable. It was unchanging. It was unwavering. It was unmoving in who he was. It wasn't about his dream, but it was his direction. I wonder, do we allow God's vision for our life, even if it's not our dream, to be the thing that sets our direction. Jesus was never looking, thinking about vision being something that would gain him a place or a possession or some sort of profit. Jesus was always thinking vision, looking at vision and thinking completion. How can I complete the life the Father has for me? How can I complete the life that the Father has for me to live. What a question. What an answer it could be if we would ask ourselves that question. See, a disciple in this process, my friends, asks the question, how do I live in order to be, rather than what do I do in order to get? How do I live so I can be what God called me to be, what he crafted me to be? How do I... How do, I, how, do I, how do I live in such a way as to be what Jesus died for me to be on the cross? Rather than how do I do so I can get from God what I want from God? It's rampant in our world. It's rampant in the church. It's rampant in our society. This is the thing we need to set our face to. This is the principle that needs to be unmovable in our life. How can I be a godly father? And train up my children in the way of the Lord so when they get older they won't depart from it. Versus how do I be a good dad so I can get them to do what I want so that they won't get in trouble. So that they can love me the way I want to be loved. How can I love my neighbor 
so that I can reveal to them who Jesus really is. Versus how can I love my neighbor so that maybe they'll come to church with me. Or maybe they'll have a better understanding or view of Christianity, although those things are good. Or maybe they'll just stop blowing their leaves on my lawn. Somebody say amen. My friends, it will be this type of vision that helps us in our uncertainty, in our trials, in our persecution. When the labor pains of the end times continue to increase, it'll be this type of vision that helps us to keep looking to Jesus. It's what will help us in our everyday decisions. See, I know what we know is that there are so many things along our journey, just like Jesus' journey, that affect our vision that affect whether or not we will keep our face set forward. Things like crowds and crisis and cups and crosses. Jesus faced them all. I think one of the first things as we look at this text that we see is so often that sidetracks our life and challenges our life is the crowd. What other people think or say about us affects us and affects whether we'll keep our face set towards the things of God. Did you realize as you're reading this, the very first place that Jesus went after setting his face was a place no one wanted to go to and a place that rejected him? But think about this. Did you know, though, why they rejected him? This is something needs to get in our spirit, Connect Church. Did you notice why they rejected him? Verse 53 says they rejected him because he set his face towards a place that they already felt rejected by. They rejected him. People will reject you. Come on. Because you set your face towards someone they already feel rejected by. They already felt rejected by the Jewish people. The Jewish people already looked down on the Samaritans. They, they looked down on the way they lived, the way that they worshipped, the way of their life. And let me just say this before we even go any further in this. Many times I think we get distracted from what God is trying to uh, do in our lives and what he's trying to take us through because what, what the place he's taking us through is a place of rejection. I think many of us lose track along the way because as we start this journey with Jesus and living out God's vision, he is leading us through a place of rejection. But that doesn't kind of line up with my, when I give my life to God, everything is roses and unicorns. The problem is that rejection is a powerful weapon that the enemy uses. If left unchecked by the grace and love of God and the love of the Father in our life, rejection is so powerful. Why? Because it touches the very essence of our soul who we think we are, who we want other people to think we are. So it touches the very nature of our soul itself. And it, it can become so powerful if left unchecked. It will cause us to do things we swore we'd never do. I'm a firm believer that rejection is part of the tool that caused Cain to kill Abel. Because the Bible says in Genesis 4, God says to a uh, Cain, why are you so dejected? Why are you so, why are you feeling rejected, Cain? By the way, that Hebrew word means, why has your face fallen? Why did you change where you're looking? Rejection 
caused, was a tool that caused, left unchecked, can cause us, come on, to kill the people closest to us. I get it, man. Rejection has been an Achilles heel for me in my life. I get it. I told my men's group the other night, there's not a day that goes by I don't feel like a failure. Not one day. I feel like it all the time. I've wrestled many, many a battle with rejection. I get it. But when I read this text, I realize I'm not alone. Because James and John obviously had problems with it as well. Dude, think about that. They get rejected and they're like, I'm calling fire down. I am calling fire. Don't you feel like you want to do that sometimes? That's the problem. That's the problem. Can't you feel when they're saying, I'm going to call fire down Jesus, and he just starts rolling his eyes. The truth is, my friends, that spirit is alive and well in modern Christianity. Where we feel the need to burn down those who reject who we are. Rather than realize they have felt rejected because of what we have set our face toward. How about we help them realize the love of Jesus rather than the wrath of religion? They have felt rejected by what you have set your face towards. So why are we calling the fire and the wrath of God down on them rather than exposing the love of God to them? Why don't we help undo, come on somebody, what religion has already done? That's what we need to be, Connect Church. You want to know what this church needs to be? It's not calling everything right, you know me. It is not, not saying what sin is and calling sin, sin, but it is loving people. I don't need to burn down the house to save the soul. I think the challenge is when rejection is seen as unprofitable, we will either do what we talked about, which is reframe the vision, or we'll simply burn down the attackers. But a disciple understands that the first thing God needs to settle in you and I is whose acceptance we're going to live for. Whose word is going to have the final word in our life? Whose word, is going, whose opinion is going to be the opinion that sets our gaze? It's the first thing that has to get settled in us because we can't go any further down this road until we get this settled. Why? Because it goes back to the first commandment in Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me, but I'm not bowing down at any altar. Yes, you are. The altar of someone's opinion, the altar of someone's acceptance, the altar of, of the fear of someone's rejection. We bow down to other gods all the time. This has to be settled in us. This is why he takes us through the crowd. Because he's trying to settle something in us as a disciple that can help us move closer to the cross. But if it's not the crowd that gets you, <laughs> don't worry, there's a crisis around the corner that will. And whereas the crowd challenges us in our insecurity issues, the crisis are external factors that challenge our priority issues. All these next verses from 57 to 62 show what I'm talking about. The moment Jesus leaves the village, he comes in contact with three people. The first one says, Jesus, I'm in, I'll follow you. And Jesus says, look, I want you to let you know there's no creature comforts on my journey. 
Uh, it's going to be different than you think. We ain't staying at the Ritz-Carlton. Um, I don't even have a place to lay down my head. I've got a question for you. Are you ready? I know you're emotionally charged. You are excited. You just came from the worship set. You have been jumping in praise. Great, awesome. You got the bread I fed you. You're excited for the miracles. You've got yourself pumped up. Are you ready for the difficulties on the path? Peace, I'm out. Next guy, Jesus says, uh, come on and follow me. He said, I will follow you, but I, I, let me go bury my dad first. Now, let me just say something so you don't think Jesus is too cold. I do not believe in the context his dad was dead. I believe what he was saying is, I will follow you, but first I have to go back and take care of my dad until he dies. That's my responsibility. I have to take care of my dad until he dies. That's like in our modern world, us saying, God, I would, but you know I need to take care of my family. You know I got some responsibilities. I got to provide. I got to get the kids the soccer game. God, I'm in, and I'll try to fit you in when I can, but you got to understand I've got other priorities. And God says, I don't understand. You said, I've no other gods before me. The last guy says, yep, I, I, I learned from the other two. I'll follow you, but let me first go say goodbye to my family and friends. And Jesus says, look, anyone who sets his hand to the plow and then turns back, you're not worthy of the kingdom. What he's saying is this. The kingdom is not found in where you've been. It's found only in where I'm going. You can't look back and try to keep peace with that which is behind you when where I'm taking you is beyond where you've been. See, if we look at all of these, we're seeing all these external factors dealing with the priority of Jesus in our decision-making. Where does he fall in any and all of our decisions? Where does he fall? Again, is it profitable to do this, even if it means I can't do or be what my family thinks I should do or be? What my friends, what my relatives, what that person I want to impress, is it still profitable? Do you realize this last one, and I just, this is a cool one, this last guy, he, um, he harkens back, the picture harkens back to when Elijah calls his servant Elisha to follow him. And in 1 Kings 19, Elijah comes to Elijah and says, come and follow me. He says, cool, I will. Let me go take care of some stuff first. And Elijah goes, I'm, I'm moving on. If you're coming, you're coming. If you're not, you're not. Right? And, and Elisha gets it. And the Bible says he took the plow that he had been plowing on and shattered it, put it on fire, and made it an altar. He took the oxen he was plowing behind and killed them and made them a sacrifice. What's so important there is this. He didn't take where he had been and what he had been doing and put it in the barn. So that just in case this life didn't work out, this decision didn't work out. I can go back to it. My friends, there's no plan B, come on somebody, in the kingdom of God as a disciple of Jesus. We can't put that side hustle in the barn. We can't put that, uh, that, that old life in the barn. We, we, we can't put uh, that, 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 that old dream in the barn. We got to kill it. We got to sacrifice it. There is no plan B. We got to set our face to the king in the kingdom and keep marching. By the way, Elijah represents, symbolizes Jesus with the Holy Spirit. And Elisha symbolizes the church. 
Because when Elijah is ascended and taken up, his mantle falls off of him and drops onto Elisha. And Elisha gets twice the power, double portion. But my friends, we don't get the portion if we don't do the pursuit. We want the double portion without the pursuit of holiness, without the pursuit of the kingdom, without the pursuit of the king. Disciples understand that the plow may blister our hands, but misaligned priorities will undermine our walks. There's no plan B in the kingdom. Set your face to the king. And my friends, there will always be cups that we have to face on our journey. Eventually, Jesus was outside of Jerusalem in a garden. That's where it led him. Wrestling with God. Challenged with something that his will struggled with. At the end of Luke, Luke 22, Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. He is praying. He is sweating blood. He's crying out to the Father, Daddy, if you can take the cup of suffering from me, if you take the cup of suffering from me, man, let it be done. But not my will, but your will be done. Now here's the truth. We all believe that spiritually, theologically, but practically it challenges us. Because if, God, if God's vision for our lives is to fulfill our dreams and to make us happy, healthy, and wealthy, we will bail uh, when, he, when what he is offering doesn't align with what we are expecting. We will end up like the children of Israel in the wilderness when Moses goes up on the mountaintop to meet with God and they go to their priest, Aaron. And that's who we are. We're priests of God. We're a royal priesthood. And they, and they begin to influence them and say, look, we need something else. We need this. We need this. We need this. We need this to be okay. We need this to feel safe. We need this to feel good about our lives. This is what we need. And so it pops out a golden calf. And that golden calf was what they wanted, but it led to the destruction. Our soul, my friends, is a great distractor because it doesn't want to do the vision of God. And so it will create golden calves to get our attention. That we will make our own gods. And we will bend that God to our will rather than our will to God's. This is the danger when we see vision through profitability. This is why Paul tells us in Galatians 5.17, the, de the desires of our flesh are opposite or counter to the things of God. And the things of God are counter to the things of the flesh. We can't live with one foot in and one foot out. See, my friends, the truth is that discipleship is not following God's plan so that our will can be done, but following God so that his will can be done. This is the only lens of profitability. Today in my life, has God's will been done? That's how I have to determine this message today. For me. Did I deliver God's message or not? Then it's profitable. Whether people stay or leave. Tomorrow when you go to work, did, did I live out God's plan today? Did I live out God's will? Well, in my marriage today, am I creating the marriage that God has for, my, for his will for me? That's the only lens of profitability. But the challenge is all these things, these, these, 
These crowds, these cups, these crises, they start to chip away at our view of profitability. I mean, look, if, 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 if this person isn't going to go with me, if, 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 if my friends aren't a part of what I'm doing, is it worth it? If my friends are going somewhere else, doing something else, if my friends don't agree, is it worth it? If, if this crisis isn't diverted, if, if this situation doesn't change, is it still worth following God? If at the end of the day, my will, this cup, costs me too much, and my will and my dreams are left behind, is it still profitable in saying yes to Jesus? These are the real questions we have to wrestle with. See, but thinking as a disciple, disciples see these things differently because they see how the crowds and the crisis and the cups are making us more like Jesus. Oh, they hurt. Oh, there's a pur come on, there's a purging. Sometimes it's not comfortable, but you've heard me say faith doesn't exist in the comfortable, it exists in the uncomfortable. Come on, you Stepping out of a boat onto a stormy sea is not comfortable. Uh, being blind your whole life so that you could be healed by Jesus is not comfortable. Dying and then being raised again is not comfortable. Faith does not exist in the comfortable. It exists in the uncomfortable. So when we are determining profitability by our comfortability, come on, we are not growing in faith. We're hindering our walk. These things are making us like Jesus. That's what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 16. He says, look, when you're going through the crowds and the cups and the crisis, don't lose heart. Because even though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. These light, momentary troubles. Woo! He's in jail being beaten. These light, momentary troubles. He's going to be, he's going to be killed and martyred for the cause. These light and momentary troubles. This, this crowd that doesn't like me. This cup that is against my will. This, this, uh, this crisis of, man, whatever it's like. Because it is shaping in me a far exceeding weight of glory. Woo! That, if I keep my eyes on that. It helps me because the reality is, my friends, the cross that we face is usually the convergent point of the crowd, the crisis, and the cups. It was for Jesus and it will be for us, but it doesn't lead us into a life of pain and defeat. It leads us to the death of self and the glorious resurrection of a Christ-filled life. The cross is the place of total surrender to self. It's the place where we find ourselves fully in Jesus. It is the place where we can bring the purest joy and the purest worship to our King. Paul tells us in Romans 12.1 to do everything in our power to present our lives a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Get to the cross. Present yourself. This is our acceptable act of worship to God. Our greatest fulfillment in life, my friends, comes not from our desires being realized, but it is found in God being revealed in us and to us and through us. For I have been crucified with Christ. John, can you come real quick? For I have been crucified. For I have been crucified with Jesus. 
How do I get there? I got to go through the cups. How do I get there? I got to go through the crisis. How do I get there? I got to go through the crowds of rejection. I got to go through the people that hate me, the people that mock me, the people that will write about me, the people that will tell tell lies about me. I have to go through the pain of rejection. I've got to go through the priorities being reshaped. I have to go through the cup of my will being surrendered to his will in this agony of a garden where I'm sweating and bleeding out and saying, God, it's not my will but yours I have been crucified with Jesus therefore I will no longer live but the life I live in the flesh I live by the faith in the son of God this is discipleship it's not easy but it's profitable it's indomitable it's unwavering The Bible says Abraham did not waver in disbelief when it came to the promises of God. He unwavering, indomitably went towards them. One of my favorite stories, I'm getting ready to close. One of my favorite stories is uh, the story of of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, which many of you may be familiar with. Jim and Elizabeth felt like they were called by God. They had a vision for the indigenous people in Ecuador. So they spent years preparing, praying, seeking God. They finally got down to where they were. And as they were trying to make contact, Jim was sending gifts across the river. And the Indians misunderstood, the indigenous people misunderstood his intentions. And so they threw spears and killed the five missionaries. And you could say, man, That's the end of that story. Elizabeth certainly packed up and went home. I mean, after all, if it was God's vision, shouldn't have God protected them? I don't know because I'm not God. But Elizabeth said, I'm not going to turn my face. I'm not going to look away because I know what God set inside of me. I know what kingdom cause he called me to. And so she raised more money and prepared more people and found a way to get back in front of those indigenous people once again. And she led person after person after person after person after person to Jesus Christ. And in a land that had no Christian experience, had no Christian identity, churches started to pop up all throughout the back countries of Ecuador. And if that wasn't miracle enough, one day while she was preaching at the end of the service, a man came up to her and said, I need to ask your forgiveness. And she said, for what? And he said, because I was the man who threw the spear through your husband's chest. And she said, it is not my forgiveness you need, but it's Jesus's. And he fell on his knees and gave his heart to Jesus Christ. And that man, that man, that man, took the gospel to countless thousands of people in his own country telling about the love of Jesus Christ. He even baptized Elizabeth's son because she set her face. She set her face. Crisis that seemed unprofitable didn't cause her to look away. Rejection of others didn't cause her to cower back. The cup of suffering of losing her husband didn't cause her to become so small that the kingdom faded away. She set her face, she set her face, she set her face, 
She said her face. My friends, when the crowds reject you, don't look away. When the crisis comes, and they will, don't look away. When the cup of your soul cries out, too much, too hard, too painful, don't look away. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the only rock that'll keep us in the storms that are coming. So I'm going to end with the same question I started with. Who is determining your gaze? Who is setting your daily vision for life? What will cause you, like Judas, like Cain, to look away? Come to the cross. Come to the cross. It's the only cause that matters. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my kingdom will stand forever. Do you believe that? Then like granite, set your face towards the cross. And don't look back. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Do you receive this today? Is someone here today that's just saying, man, I've received that? Paul says, this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I press forward to what is ahead so I can lay claim to the upward call of Jesus Christ. Forgetting what was behind, I press forward into what is ahead. And today, if you're here in this room and you can just say, man, to be honest, I've let my eyes wander. I've let my gaze slip. I've let other things get in the way. I've misunderstood the vision of God for my life. But today, you want to turn around. The Bible calls that repentance. It's not feeling sorry. There's a change. There's a turning around. If that's what you are here and you're saying you're feeling the Holy Spirit call you, woo you to a closer relationship with Jesus, woo you to a life of discipleship, woo you to a life of holiness with God, woo you to the cross and to His kingdom. My friends, we're going to pray, and I'm just going to ask you to pray from the bottom of your heart. It's simply about surrendering it all. Come to the cross. Surrender your life. Surrender that addiction. It ain't doing you no favors. Surrender that secret sin. It's just keeping you in shame. Surrender that life, that intellect, and recognize that His ways are above your ways. He calls the stars by name. We don't even have enough words to call the stars in our universe by name. Just pray with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, here I am. I've come to repent. I've come to turn my life around. I'm setting my eyes upon you and you alone. I'm choosing today not to look back or to go back. I'm asking your forgiveness of all of my sin for all the times 
that I made my own choices, followed my own will, listened to my own heart. Today I choose to fix my eyes on Jesus, on the cross, and on your kingdom. And I surrender to you all that I am, all that I have, and all that I ever will be. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, can we give God some glory? Hallelujah. Jesus, my King, my Lord, my God. Woo! I'm sweating. How you doing? My God is able. Today, listen, if you prayed that prayer, maybe for the first time or for the hundredth time, but today is a day of transformation and change for you. We want to help you walk this out. You hear us talk about discipleship all the time. For us, discipleship is not a theological word. It's a lifestyle put into practice. So we have a means to help you in that. We have Shoulder to Shoulder, which is our ladies' discipleship groups that meet throughout the week via Zoom. But we get into real issues. We have men's discipleship groups that meet throughout the week. So if one night's not good for you, there's other nights. We get into the Word, and we let the Word get into us. And we wrestle with it. I will promise you this. There's not one guy or one lady in your group that is perfect and got it worked out. So if you're not perfect and don't have it worked out, we've got a place for you. Fit right in. You should be at our pastor's one. Our pastor's one is probably like one of the most messed up. No, I'm just kidding. It's, no, it's, it's real. It's just real. We just wrestle this thing out. I've been doing this a really long time. Dino's, I wrestle it out every day. Just wrestling it out. Constant surrender to Jesus. But we've got some books for you. If you're an adult, we have uh, The Surprise of Your Life that Pastor Rick wrote. And if you're a, a, a Gen Zer, there's another one here, Letters to a Gen Zer, that will help you understand what we're talking about. You can pick those up right, av- right over here, right after service. Or if you're online, you can, uh, you can go to the link there that's uh, prayer at theconnectchurch.com. Thank you for giving me your attention today. Thank you for spending money put gas in your car to come working through all the things you had to work through to get here today I want you to know that you just being here is part of setting your face to something just being here today (laughs) just being here you're one step forward it's easy to realize all the things we're not but let's start celebrating the things he made us to be already I'm celebrating you today just like I'm celebrating him. He showed up and you showed up, so thank you. Just gonna have Pastor Lisa come up now. She's just gonna, we're gonna close service in just a second, but she's gonna help us to continue worshiping in our giving today. Give Pastor Lisa a hand. Not only, is she, not only is she awesome, she dresses cool. Good morning, come good on. morning. It is good to be with you all today. I wanna take a couple of minutes to lead us in our tithes and offerings as we continue to worship God today, right church? So to help you do that today, there's a couple of ways you may know, but if you don't, there are envelopes beside you. You can fill those out and then put them in those super cool kiosks by the door as you leave today. 
or you can go online to theconnectchurch.com or CCB, do it that way. Or finally, you can use the QR code right there up on the screen that you see. You just go to your phone, go to camera, zoom in. Does anyone else still think that that's crazy how that works? I don't know how exactly that works, but it works. But as you do that today, church, I really want to encourage us with something. I want to encourage us to fully trust God. You know, has anyone ever sat on the edge of a chair? This is why this chair is randomly here, put by my husband. Has anyone ever sat on the edge of a chair? If you do that for long, it's kind of uncomfortable, right? It's not the most comfortable place to be. And you know, Proverbs 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, with everything, in your family, in your finances, in every area. Trust in Him and lean not on your own understanding. So today, church, God is saying, lean in, sit back, get comfortable, trust me, child, with everything. Stop staying on the edge and kind of just staying there. Trust me fully. So thank you, church, for giving today, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are your children, that we can trust you, Lord, that even though you understand that things can be scary, it can be scary to even just give our finances. It can be scary to trust you in our relationships, to obey you. It can be scary to come to a church and be planted, be a part of it. But thank you, God, that you said, trust me with everything. Don't lean on your own understanding. I've got you, daughter. I've got you, son. I am worthy to be trusted. And so, God, we trust you with our finances. We trust you with everything this morning. And we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church. Come on, give Pastor Elise a hand. Yo, she's awesome. What she and Pastor Kevin are doing with kids is incredible. And she's She's also, by the way, a shoulder-to-shoulder lady, uh, a ladies leader. So and they have a, I know they have a great group. I know you rock it out. It's all good. Yeah. And you get to hear that really cool Irish accent all the time. Hey, why don't you guys stand with me? Let, me? let me pray over you. You know, we started today with saying, we believe God moves mountains. And that's the prayer I want to pray over you today. That whether it's a crowd you face this week or a crisis or a cup, that this week, God will move the mountain. Father, I thank you for each and every person in this room today. I thank you for your love towards them. I thank you that you're working all things together for their good because you love them. They're called according to your purpose. I thank you, God, that As they stay in Christ, there's no weapon formed against them that shall prosper. I thank you, God, that what is impossible with man is possible for you. I thank you that when we face a Red Sea, you'll make a way. When when the walls of Jericho stand in our front of us, Lord God, you demolish them through your spirit. I pray that you may continue to enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we may understand and see you more clearly. That we may know the immeasurable great power and authority that comes in Christ as we believe in you. And that you immerse us this week in the grace of the Lord God Almighty that is so deep and so wide and so high we can't get under it, we can't get around it, and we can't get out of it. So we need to find our life in it. 
May your love flow through us and to us and out of us into the world around us for your glory and for your grace as we set our gaze to your cross, your king, and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Church, I love you. I can't wait to see you next week. It's going to be cool. Going to make sure that we're here. I love you. God bless you guys. See you next week.